Surprise! And welcome in to the last bonus off-season episode of Stone Cold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm joined by Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan. Follow them on X at Palillo and at Josh Jordan 975. Yes, it is the last bonus episode because next week, season two premieres of Stone Cold Shows, and we could not be more excited to get this season going. And if you only knew how close it was to not happening, Charlie first, happy belated Valentine's. And second, uh, you know, Josh and I did a bonus episode earlier this week where I might have said something silly like, gee, there really hasn't been much news this offseason. And then Justin Verlander and JP France said, hold my icy hot. We found out JV and JP are both behind schedule. JP with inflammation and JV with a hiccup, he called it. Uh, so I'm assuming the training staff is hard at work telling him to hold his breath or drink upside down. I'm more of a spoonful of dry sugar guy. So go ahead, comment section, go crazy. Charlie, after the hater acquisition, the biggest question marks were really about the starters. And here we are. Obviously, each guy, each of these guys holds something different for this team. What's your concern level for the rotation as of now? I'm concerns, a good word, especially this early, not panic. Uh, I go with the brown paper bag on the shoulder, three deep breaths. We hit 98 in no time. In Verlander's case, and he's such a, a good conversationalist and in interview, and I think pretty forthcoming as, as athletes go, in just casually saying, yeah, I had a setback and uh, hiccups, and uh, he's a couple of weeks behind, which I'm going to take. If he's a couple of weeks behind, he's not going to pitch until a couple of weeks into the season because he's 40. He's a man. He's 40. But as he <laughs> noted, the body doesn't bounce back the way it did when he was 25. And you just can't mess with this, right? There's the long game. Sure, it'd be great if Justin Verlander's on the mound March 28th, opposite Garrett Cole, Astros, Yankees, opening day, all the pomp and circumstance. But it's okay. If Romber Valdez starts the opener and Christian Javier goes in game two and you're buying a little time on Justin Verlander because you'd prefer it not be because a shoulder concern, but uh, saving a few bullets, right? Saving some tread wear on the tires at his age. Last season had a shoulder issue. He didn't begin his season until early May and held up pretty darn well. It took him a little while to get going once he started pitching in games that counted with the Mets. But from June on, after he came to the Astros, he was by and large very good. Not 2022 Justin Verlander because it's sub 1% of pitchers in history who are going to do that. Uh, so Verlander's not a 30-32 start guy anymore. I mean, he's just not. He made 28 and 27 starts the last two seasons, but he averaged right at six innings per start last year across his time with both the Mets and the Astros. I think if the Astros were offered 25 starts, 150 innings, They'd be all over it, provided Verlander's healthy uh, down the stretch end of the year. And presumably you're playing October baseball, postseason October baseball again. Uh, I guess the one concerning element of this, the longer it goes on, and the Astros rotation has multiple uh, question marks on different levels that we can get to as we go. But remember, if the Astros don't win that last game of the series in Seattle, the last week of the regular season, not only did they not win the division, they don't even make the playoffs. So, you know, they're not the great team anymore of 103, 106, 107 win seasons. The margin of error was grossly reduced last year. And while they're still a good team on paper and absolutely a playoff team on paper, 
but the margins are not as wide for them. So Verlander turns out to miss for six weeks. Maybe it's only two weeks, or maybe, look at this guy, he answers the bell opening day or in game two. Uh, but the longer he's out, obviously it reduces the Astros' odds of getting into the postseason to make a run at an eighth consecutive American League Championship Series, a fifth World Series appearance. But I think Verlander's credit rating is pretty high, so he's not unduly concerned. But if you're an Astros fan, crossing your fingers isn't the worst of ideas. I'm going to be uh, looking at the bright side guy here with Verlander. Uh, first thing, Thursday, Brian McTaggart said he did throw a brief bullpen session. So that's certainly good news because he'd be shut down if this was something really serious. The fact that he's not just throwing off flat ground, he got up, you know, threw a bullpen session. To me, that's very encouraging. Charlie mentioned the injury with the Mets last season. That was actually, he suffered that discomfort in his final spring training start. And then a side session after that, it, 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 it was still kind of bothering him. So I guess the positive is I'd rather have it really early in the spring than your final spring training start. You're, you're more likely to miss less games, you know, in the best case scenario. So that's a good thing. The, the other thing that caught my attention was something that Chandler Rome tweeted. The Astros opened with 20 games in 21 days before playing 22 games in 23 days from April 30th to May 22nd. So we were already talking about a, a six-man rotation possibly being an option because of the schedule. You know, that's where this gets a little dicey, right? If Verlander's not ready to go, if JP France is still dealing with some issues, they're really going to have to get their depth guys to step up, you know, through the early part of the season. So that's something to monitor. Hopefully they're ready to go, but you know, we might have to see Ronel Blanco or, you know, somebody like that, you know, who knows? We'll see how it progresses this spring, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. The idea of a six man rotation, killer bees, Blanco and Belak, not thought or intended or hoped to be part of it. Well, Verlander and France are both uh, a little slow getting started. That's one third of your six uh, to throw another positive in. And, you know, any little morsel this early before even a spring training games, it was just from a, a couple quick frames of video and, and one still shot picture that I saw. Framber Valdez looks trimmed down to me. Now, it could have been camera angle or, or lighting, or maybe there's less to La Grasa than there was last season. And I don't know if there was any cause effect to it. You know, we know that Framber can be a little delicate between the ears at times, uh, but he faded badly in the second half of the season and was horrible in two of his three postseason starts and not good in a third one. Well, if conditioning was a factor right, for a guy who'd made a bunch of starts and thrown a bunch of innings over a couple of years, uh, if he's lighter, general rule, I'll bet on the athlete who's in better shape than the, than the guy who is not. And I'd say the same for, for Christian Javier, who I thought might have been uh, a little over optimal weight. Again, maybe no causation or, or linkage, but I wouldn't bet against it. Uh, but Fromber in particular, I said, whoo, looks like he's uh, 10, 15 pounds down from uh, what I was accustomed to seeing out of him last year. Well, we had conversations about that on this show last season, not to mention the pitch clock. And so we saw 
both Fromber and Javier, as you said, kind of regress a little bit. Maybe there were questions about conditioning. So if Fromber is indeed slimmer and trimmer, I think that does bode well for him because you're quite frankly going to need both of those guys to beat your horses, especially if there's any questions about where, you know, Justin Verlander and when he can start pitching and how effective he'll be and how many innings you can put on him. I think it's interesting that he does have that 140 innings benchmark that he has to hit for that third year to vest. Uh, Just by comparison, he had over 140 strikeouts last season. So if he's healthy, he should easily hit 140 innings, but we'll see. Spencer Arigetti was also at camp. This was his first big league camp to get invited to. He talked about how it's just a thrill for him being a Houston guy, being an Astros fan, and now playing in Sugarland, being close to home. Any chance we see him, especially with if we, you know, if there's any scuffling that happens or there's any more uh, atrophy within the starting rotation? Yeah, I think it's on a dire need basis early in the year. But if you're down two guys, and if Aragetti has a decent spring and is stretched out enough, um, I mean, Brandon Bielak competes. I just don't think he has the stuff to be an effective major league starter on an ongoing basis. Um, you know, the uh, other names we haven't thrown in yet, discussing what was thought to be the six-man rotation, if that's what they use over over much of, of April or end of March and, and April. Uh, Jose Arquides coming off an injury plagued and not very effective season once he got going, ERA over five. Uh, Hunter Brown answered the call, right? He was healthy all year and basically remained in the rotation all year other than a skip over. But after the month of April, he didn't pitch like a major league pitcher, right? ERA well over five. And for the season, it finished 504 and July, August, September just kept getting worse. Well, Hunter Brown's just 25 years old. We know he has stuff. There's no indication he's anything less than healthy. So there's a guy who slots in at least as an innings taker in your rotation. Uh, Urquidy, if there's no sort of issue with him, that's a guy. Then you have Fromber and Javier. So if you're down France and Verlander and you need two guys, I'm fine with going Blanco and Aragetti uh, rather than Belak unless they just feel, nope, Aragetti needs a handful or two of starts at AAA before they just think he's fairly ready to to go in the major leagues. Uh, when in doubt, my philosophy is, is go with the young guy. Uh, give the upside play and maybe you run into something. I mean, who knows? We could see him. I, I'm with Charlie. I don't think it's super likely, but I didn't think we'd see JP France for most of the season last year. So, you know, your options are your options. So if that's who they have to go to, at least you have some some upside. Blanco is one of those guys. Is he going to be a bullpen guy? Is he going to be a starter? Is it going to go back and forth? Sean Dubin's a name. We saw him a little bit as well. So, you know, they have options, but you don't love it. But the good news is if McCullers actually comes back, if Luis Garcia actually comes back in the summer, you're going to have a ton of starting pitching. I'll be interested to see how they organize that, who they use, who they go to, if there's a move to be made because they just have so many guys. So that'll be something to watch. But early on in the year, it's a tough time to to have these pitchers down and have so many games. And you can't afford to fall behind. The, we've seen it. Rangers are legit. So you better come out of the gates pretty strong. As Josh mentions the Rangers, let me note that the state of the Astros rotation right now, I think it's better than the state of the Rangers rotation. They have Evaldi, who's phenomenal and was great in the postseason. 
but he had a very heavy workload. And this is a guy who's had two Tommy Johns and had to miss a month down the stretch last season. Then they have John Gray. Okay. Dane Dunning. All right. And then, uh, like McCullers and Garcia with the Astros, I mean, the Rangers are waiting on Jacob deGrom. Uh, They're waiting on Tyler Malley, who they signed as a free agent. And they have not re-signed Jordan Montgomery. And I'm missing some... Oh, Max Scherzer. They're they're waiting until mid-season on Max Scherzer. I mean, the Rangers are doing a little bubblegum and bailing wire to their rotation going into the season as well. Uh, The Mariners, on paper, have the best rotation. It looks like going into 2024 within the American League West. They're line up those uh, uh, another question. So, you know, it's like that. no one should be reaching for the ripcord or saying, Jim Crane, go sign Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. We need starting pitching desperately. No, not desperately. But the Astros are more in the cluster of teams with pretty good pitching staffs as opposed to one that, whoa, that's one of the two, three best in baseball, no doubt about it. And quickly, a report came out this week that it doesn't look like the Rangers are likely to sign Jordan Montgomery. That's good news if you're an Astros fan. Just quickly on this, I've seen some people on Twitter name drop Trevor Bauer, and he's been telling whoever will listen. And this last week, it was Theo Vaughn on his podcast. He's ready to be back in the MLB. Honestly, I would be very surprised to see him back. And I will tell you, I I don't even want to waste a question on this because I know what the answer is, I think, collectively here. But Personally, I don't think there is a world in the multiverse in which the Astros or Jim Crane specifically are desperate enough to entertain that idea, much less pulling the trigger on that. So let's talk about the Astros closer, because we had a discussion before the season or before the preseason about how, hey, you don't pay a reliever $95 million to be the setup guy. We got confirmation from Joe Espada and Josh Hader that Josh Hader will be the closer for the Astros this year. And Charlie, in in the first part, you talked about how JV was a great conversationalist. Can I submit new skipper Joe Espada also falls in that category with a refreshing level of candor, especially compared to the last skipper who I think would have been more secretive about this news and acted like this was some sort of CIA secret about who was going to be uh, the closer and when they were going to use them. We got confirmation. What did you think about that announcement? And also just what are your general thoughts on the transparency of Joe Espada as the Astros' new manager? I think Espada's been tremendously impressive. I mean, look, they haven't faced live ammunition and all that yet and haven't gone through any challenging times or had any internal matters that can test a manager a little bit. But uh, I just think Espada brings a a new energy to it, a forthrightness to it. Uh, At their pre-spring training uh, media luncheon, the directness with which he said, we need to be a better base running team. And that goes from the top of our roster on through. And uh, pitchers need to do a better job of holding base runners, give our catchers a better chance in dealing with the running game. I mean, clear areas of deficiency for the Astros that I have to say there was no emphasis on improving uh, given their, their results. Um, as to Hater, you hit it. I mean, except for Edwin Diaz, you don't pay $95 million for a closer, much less for a setup man. Well, Hater coming, him being the primary closer, Fet accompli. I mean, Ryan Presley's a made Astro for life and never blown a save in the postseason. 
But the reality is Hader was better than Ryan Presley last year. Given their ages, you'd expect Hader to be better than Presley this year. Uh, Hader won't get all the save opportunities. You know, I don't think he's suddenly going to become a big five-out closer, even though he has the five-year contract. Uh, But Presley, if you want to call it, well, he'll get the save scraps. So be it. Uh, Presley's $14 million option for 2025 vests, as I think we covered here previously, uh, after the hater signing, it vests based upon appearances, not saves. So if you're Presley, on the one hand, I'm sure it's a little bit of an ego blow. Hey, I've done a pretty damn good job here. But it's not like they just brought in somebody to replace him. I mean, Hader was a one, two, three, one, two, eight earned run average in the peripherals and, and all that. And it's not jeopardizing Presley's money. Uh, all seven of the last seven full length seasons, Presley's made at least 50 appearances. He made 65 last year so that a bulk of them will come in the eighth inning now, as opposed to the ninth inning, he'll get his work. There are plenty of games, frankly, where you can say the eighth inning is the real save situation. If the spot is going to adhere to Presley's my eighth inning guy, haters, my ninth inning guy, and you're in a three, two game and the two, three, four hitters are coming up in the eighth inning, but Presley's coming in then. So it's not like he's going to become their middleman or mop up guy. Um, and then there's the component while haters making $19 million this season and press is making 14 million this year. I mean, would anyone say it's less than a one and three shot? Brian Abreu doesn't outpitch both of them. While he makes 1.75 million as an Uber elite seventh inning guy. And of course these roles can change during the season. I noted in my sportsmap.com column this week that odds are pretty good that Hater works out for the Astros better than the last left-handed flame-throwing closer they added. The wild thing, Mitch Williams, who right after giving up that World Series ending home run to Joe Carter in 93, Phillies had to get rid of him. Astros traded for him, and Williams couldn't have been worse. Astros released him May 31st of that season with the ZRA way over seven. I mean, Hater, there's no questions about between his ears or the health of his arm. Uh, the Astros re-strengthened a strength with Neris gone, Maton gone, even including Stanek gone. Hater won't make up all those innings, but the innings that he makes up, he certainly should be better than all three of those guys. For sure. I, I, I like the way Hater handled it because he was asked a lot about what his role would be. And he just kind of deflected, hey, I talked to Ryan Presley. We just want to win baseball games. Whatever they decide is fine with us. The the workload stuff with Hater was kind of the 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 big piece of news a couple weeks ago about how he said he he only wanted to work out of the closers role in the ninth inning with his former team. And he said it was because of the system. I have the quote here. The arbitration system told me the traditional role of a closer is where the value is with relief pitchers. I was told to my face, what you're doing is not worth it. So him coming in in the eighth and then pitching the ninth, you know, he had done that in the past, but because of the arbitration process, he was like, I'm not going to waste my arm on this if, if it's going to cost me money in the long run. So I'll be curious to see if that's something where that continues with the Astros, where he's only you know pitching one inning at a time. But he did say, which made me happy, that in the postseason, it's all hands on deck. So he, you know, he made the point that you know if these are really important games, it's the postseason, then I'm going to do whatever my team asks me. So I, I like I like what's going on with Hader. I like that Bregman and his wife met up with Hader and his wife, and Bregman's kind of taking a new leadership role, even in his last year, possibly on the team. I like seeing that. And then one more quick thing about the bullpen is Dana Brown spoke with the media this week, and he he brought up Montero, and he he, he said you know who's going to 
You know, who's going to be the guy besides the seven, eighth inning and ninth inning guys? And he, he brought up Montero and he said, Montero, he's legit. If he could emerge as our sixth inning guy, now you're talking six, seven, eight, and nine is really good. So it seems like Dana Brown saying Montero is legit. I mean, CRA was over five last year in any kind of leverage situation, especially towards the end of the season. He really struggled. So I'm curious to see because Dana Brown sees it that way. Is that what a spot is going to do because that's what the boss man wants or or at least maybe he'll give him that early and let him prove Dana Brown right but if he struggles I'll be curious to see if Espada is his own man and if Montero's not getting it done then he's not going to be your sixth inning guy but obviously it's all positive it's spring training we know relief pitchers from year to year they they have ups they have downs so I'm hoping Montero this is one of those up years and he gets back to being a guy that the Astros can count on because they're certainly paying him a lot of money you need to get something out of that. Yeah, well, there are 23 million reasons why Dana Brown's deeming Montero legit. You're hoping like mad that he at least has a pretty healthy rebound, if not getting all the way back to 2022 Montero. And look, there's less pressure, less importance, I guess. Though, you know, if you blow a lead that costs you the game in the sixth inning, it's just as damaging as if it happens in the eighth inning. But the sixth inning's a lower leverage spot. Right, it's not thought of as critical as if you're working in the in the eighth inning. Uh, Montero's arm was at least generally sound, and and you mentioned they're going to hope for that that yo-yo year-to-year effect you see with so many relievers. And at this point, there's no other worthy candidate to be the number four guy in the bullpen. Uh, Bennett Sousa is going to be a situational lefty to come in and face three batters or one if it's ending an inning. Uh, I think Dylan Coleman right now who didn't do anything with the Royals um, is uh, probably better than 50, 50 to, to make the bullpen. And uh, I think unless Forrest Whitley is injured or a complete mess in the spring, uh, there's another spot in the bullpen. And so I don't think any of those guys pass, go collect $200 and move ahead of Montero uh, on the, uh, the relief pitcher, the middleman totem pole. Um, and another element, number one, you hope Montero is better for the sake of the 2024 Astros. Along with that, uh, if he's better, maybe he can uh, reinflate a little trade value uh, alternative for you as the summer moves along. If you hit on one or two of the younger guys or uh, guys without any track record of, of performance uh, at the major league level, at least Montero had that one big year. Well, if he's having a decent season come July and you can shed a chunk of that salary for 2025, you know, that Kendall Graveman uh, should be uh, back at, at $8 million, uh, then as well. Um, but uh, Josh, as you know, it's spring training. A reason to be optimistic and see uh, all the clouds is uh, cumulus. Those are the good clouds, right? Uh, that the sky is, is, is bright and, and everyone's undefeated on back half of February and most of March. I don't want to be that guy, but cirrus are the ones that you really like to see. They're the feathery ones that are highest in the cloud, which means it's a usually a clear and sunny day. That's it for your nerd cloud talk. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. It's going to be another episode of Stone Cold Strows in the Book, the last bonus episode of the offseason, because, gents, we got some real baseball talk. This weekly episodes of, i got to stop doing that. It, it's, it's a killer in post-production. Got to stop clapping. So next week, the weekly episodes resume. Stone Cold Strohs season two will start. So again, like make sure you're subscribed everywhere where you get the podcast. Uh, and if you're not, do it. 
come along with the ride for us. We really appreciate it. We want all of you to join us. This season's got a special feel to it. So until next time, no strokes. No strokes.